Our scripture reading uh, this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. We are in a series looking at the prophet of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. And uh, we are up to chapter 19. And I'd like you to turn there in your pew Bibles if, uh, if you are here in the building. If you're at home, please follow along there or keep God's Word out as we look at it this morning. I'll be reading the first 18 verses of God's Word to us. The first 18 verses of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets. Those are the prophets of Baal with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, they have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, have you ever been on top of the world only to have the chair kicked out from underneath your feet? Maybe you bought a few bitcoins a few years ago and you thought, hey, I'm rich. And just like the market soared, it, it crashed. It took it all back and you were back to where you were. Or maybe you bought that house that you really, really loved. You signed all the closing documents. You were handed the keys. You felt like for once God was smiling on you. And then the first time it rained, your basement filled up with sewage. Things can go from being really good to being really bad really fast. Things are, are really pretty good in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah has rebuilt the altar of, of God. He has um, been trash-talking the prophets of Baal. He might be a little singed from holy fire, but the sweet smell of vindication is in the air. But when you get to chapter 19 and the smoke is cleared, you find that Jezebel has Elijah on the run again. Things have gone from really good to really bad. I mean, if, if 1 Kings 18 is like D-Day, then 1 Kings 19 should be like V-Day, right? Elijah should be, should be in a convertible full of ticker tape driving down Wall Street. He should be drinking eggnog out of a shoe with all his friends. But that's not the way it is. Life has both peaks and it has valleys. And right here, Elijah is in one of the valleys. What I'd like to do with you this morning is just examine a little more closely how Elijah handles life in that valley. We're going to do that by looking at three pleas that Elijah makes of God. Pleas that, that we might just be familiar with <clears throat> from our own experience of the valleys of life. The first plea is this. Release me. Release me. A football coach from a Midwestern university was not doing very well. His team kept losing. By mid-October, as you might imagine, the alumni were up in arms. In November, they finally erupted. Their team had lost to their traditional arch-rivals. 
And the next day, the coach received this telegram. The last train out of town leaves Sunday at noon. Be under it. That's the situation between Jezebel and Elijah. There's a play here in these early verses of chapter 19 on the word life in the Hebrew. In verse 2, Jezebel makes a threat on Elijah's life. I'm going to make your life like one of the deceased prophets of Baal, she says. So in verse 3, Elijah runs for his life. But in verse 4, Elijah says, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. Now, what's going on there? First, he runs for his life. He tries to save his life, and then he's ready to give up his life. What's going on? Well, the answer, I think, is that Elijah here doesn't really want to die. He just wants to be released. He wants to be released from his call. Elijah doesn't want to be a prophet anymore. Elijah doesn't want the responsibility of being a fully devoted follower in a church full of fence-sitters. Elijah wants a break. Elijah just wants to be a pew-sitter for a while. Elijah rused the day that he stood up in front of his Christian Reformed congregation and he said, I will do all that I can with the help of the Holy Spirit to join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere. Elijah applies for retirement. Retirement from service to the Lord. Look where he runs to. <clears throat> okay, he runs, and he runs to Beersheba in Judah. Now, Ahab and Jezebel ruled in the northern kingdom. Okay? Beersheba is in Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And Beersheba was about as far south as you could possibly go and still be in the promised land. In other words, Elijah was AWOL. He's running from his commission. He's running from his responsibilities. He's running from his calling as a prophet. God, release me, he's saying. I've had enough. It's hard being your servant when I'm the only one in the room who really takes you seriously. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever made that request? Lord, release me. Release me from this marriage. It's not what I thought it would be. Release me from my role as parent. I mean, if they don't care, why should I? Release me from my calling because, you know, the pay is low, the anxiety is high. Release me from my spiritual gift. Release me from my teaching. Release me from, from being an example. Release me from being kind and unselfish. Release me from being a deacon and an elder. Lord, release me from the responsibilities that come with following Jesus Christ. I'm tired. And I just want out. God, release me. That's Elijah's plea. But I want you to notice how God responds here. An angel visits Elijah. He comes with fresh bread and water, and not once, but twice. 
John Timmer notes here that the Latin word for bread is panis, okay? And the Latin word for with is, is cum. Someone who comes, in other words, with bread is a cum panis, a companion. That's God's answer for Elijah. Elijah says, it's too hard, Lord. I've run out of answers. I've hit the wall. I can't do this anymore. And God says, have some bread, Elijah, for that's who I am. I'm a God who gives strength, not necessarily solutions. I'm a God of companionship, not easy answers. Notice one more thing here, and that is that God doesn't speak to Elijah directly. God's presence is mediated here. God doesn't touch Elijah, an angel does. God doesn't bake bread for Elijah, an angel does that. And somehow that's the very same God that you and I know as well. Just when you're at the end of your rope, Someone comes along and touches you for God. You're feeling left out, and someone invites you to dinner. You're discouraged, and someone sends you a text. You're lonely, and someone Facebooks you. You're frightened, and someone speaks kind words to you. It's not just anyone doing those things. That's our kumpanis. That's our companion. That's God. That's God saying, keep going. Keep on keeping on. And I'll be right here with you the whole way. That's Elijah's first plea in the valley. Release me. And that's God's response. I'm with you. And I'll give you strength for the journey. Elijah's second plea is is a little bit different. It's it's God, act. Okay, if I'm really on this journey, then act. If I'm to keep moving, then please act. Now, to understand Elijah's mindset at this point, it helps, I think, if we understand our directions again. Because to read this text without a compass, I think, it's very easy to get lost. After Elijah is fed by God, he hits the road again. And that's what we might expect. But what we don't expect is where he goes, because I think his calling and where we expect him to go is back to the north. That's where Ahab and Jezebel are. That's where he's been called to minister. But where he goes instead is further and further south. Forty days and forty nights he travels to the south all the way back to Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God, we're told. Now, don't kick yourself if if you're not aware of this or if you weren't when we read the text because this is kind of like one of those geography B questions, right? The G-O-B. What's another name for Mount Horeb? It's Mount Sinai, the very mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. That's where Elijah runs to. So let's just make sure we've got our bearings, right? Elijah's work, his calling is to the north, 
but he's running to the south all the way into the wilderness to the mountain of God. But you see, the point is that Elijah's not just running south. That's not the only direction he's going. He's running back. Elijah's running back in time. This isn't just any journey that he's on. This is a sentimental journey that he's on. Now, now you and I today ought to understand this kind of journey better than most people. Because ever since COVID-19 hit, tomes have been written about how we're becoming a more nostalgic people, right? You've seen this kind of thing. Well, the word nostalgia comes from combining two Greek words, nostos, which means a return to a native land, and algos, which means suffering or grief. Nostos algos, nostalgia, is a sad mood that comes from desiring a return to one's native land. It's like being homesick. And ever since COVID-19 has hit, we've wanted to go back, right? We want to go back to a time that we perceive things were better. We want to go back to a time where we could, you know, gather with friends and family, and when we did gather with them, we could actually see the smiles on their faces instead of the masks on their faces. We want to go back to a time we think was better. And so people are into retromania right now, right? They're watching old movies and TV shows. They're listening to music from when they were teenagers. They're cooking old family recipes. They're telling classic family stories over Zoom. Anything to kind of take us back to that time when we felt better. And this is the journey that Elijah's on. And the text gives us all sorts of hints in that direction. The mountain for itself, right? Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And then there's the 40 days and 40 nights that Elijah travels. Mount, or Moses was on top of that mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And if you remember, it was on that mountain that God himself revealed himself to Moses. He passed by Moses while Moses was where? He was in the cleft of the rock. And we'll see in just a moment that God passes by Elijah as well, while Elijah is hidden in what verse 9 says is the cave. Our text says a cave. The Hebrew is specific. He was hidden in the cave, as if we should remember what cave this actually was. It's the same cave that Moses took refuge in when the Lord passed by him. So Elijah has gone back in time. You see, there's too much fear and too much anxiety, too much death in the present with Ahab and Jezebel, and so he goes back. And what does he go back to? What is it that Elijah's looking for? What is it in history that's better than he has now? Well, let's review what happened at Mount Sinai with Moses. Well, it was there that God gave his people the law, right? The Ten Commandments. It was there that he confirmed his covenant or formalized his covenant with his people that he would be their God, they would be his people. But he also reminded them 
and the thunder and the earthquake and the fire on that mountain that if they ever broke his, co- his covenant with them, he would, he would break out against them. He said, I'm a holy God. Stand back, lest I destroy you in your sin. But what happened while Moses was up there on the mountain getting those commands from God? Well, they were down at the bottom of the mountain making for themselves an idol, a golden calf to dance around and to worship. And do you remember what God's response was to that act? Exodus 32, 9 and 10 says this, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. That's what Elijah wants to go back to. So I was reading about nostalgia, I discovered that what we really long for is not some place in the past. We don't want to go back to our homes that we grew up in. We don't want to go back to our, you know, our, our hometowns. We want to go back to the people and the relationships that were in those places. Elijah wasn't just looking for Mount Sinai. Elijah was looking for God, the person of God. But he wasn't just looking for any God, was he? He was looking for the God of judgment, the God of wrath. He was looking for the God who knew what to do about idolatry. He was looking for the God who had a keen grasp of of right and wrong, a God who broke out against his people and set them straight, a God who left no room for doubt. Elijah was longing for a God of action, a God who didn't just you know, let sin go on and on. God who acted. That's the God that Elijah was looking for. God who breaks out in earthquakes and thunder and fire. But now, look back at our text. What happens with Elijah here on Mount Horeb? When God says, I'm about to pass by, there's a mighty wind that tears the mountain apart. But no God. There's an incredible earthquake that shakes the mountain. But no God. There's a fire that consumes the mountain. But no God. All the manifestations of this God from Mount Sinai, they're all here. But this time God isn't in them. It was just a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, on this mountain, there's someplace else you're supposed to be? You get the idea that God isn't too pleased with where Elijah is. Why is that? Why do you think that is? 
Well, if you look at verse 10, I think we have a hint there. Elijah is kind of making an accusation against God. He says, look, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, though, they've rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. This is all stuff from chapter 18. And I only, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What Elijah's doing here is he's throwing... He's throwing his fellow Israelites under the bus. He's saying, God, the reason I'm so tired and I'm so worn out is because you haven't kept up your end of the bargain. I mean, you sent me to these people to tell them about their sin, but, you know, I was under the impression that you were going to destroy them in that sin. You were going to punish them for what they were doing. You were going to vindicate me, the one who had to tell them all this stuff. You see, Elijah kind of equates his own affirmation as a prophet with God's condemnation of these sinful people. And if God doesn't condemn them, then he really doesn't affirm Elijah as a prophet. And so he's ready to quit. But let's just think back a moment. Okay, here Elijah wants God to break out against the people, to punish them for their sin. Is that what happened at Mount Sinai with Moses? Is that what actually happened? If you think back to that golden calf incident, God was ready to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. He was ready to quit on the whole deal. Saving Israel, through Israel, saving the whole world. God was ready to quit. Do you remember how Moses responded there? He pleaded for God to turn from his anger. He risked his life and he got in God's face. And he said, you've got to relent. He said, do you really want the other nations of the world to look at you this way? That you take your own people out of Egypt just to kill them in the desert? Just to give up on this whole task of saving the world from sin? Is that really the God that you are? Moses said, stop. Be merciful. Forgive them. Give them a second chance. And God said, yes, I will. God said, yes, I will. And God revealed himself to Moses on that mountain at that time. This is what he said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, and rebellion, and sin. God said, yes, of course. And I think the very words of Moses were the words that God wanted to hear from Elijah as well. God didn't want to hear 
hey, you need to judge these people. You need to condemn them. God wanted to hear, you need to spare these people. Have mercy on these people. Forgive these people. Because that's, friends, that's what intercessors say. That's what intercessors do. They say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's an intercessor. And friends, it's very important that we understand something here because you and I, in the wake of Jesus, have been called to be intercessors and mediators in this world. Jesus Christ has placed us, His church, in the gap between God and the world. We are the ones who are to stand in that gap and plead for mercy and plead for forgiveness for the world. And so we have to be very, very careful that we never slide into the danger or into the situation that Elijah slid into. And that's the situation where as intercessors and mediators, we begin to sort of move our position up more into God's side of the equation than the people's side of the equation. We begin to feel like we are more righteous like God than sinful like the other people. And we begin to point our fingers at the people and say, you know, those people are sinful and they need to pay for what they have done. It's so, so easy for us to fall into that position. You see, it happens to Elijah. He condemns himself in this text and he doesn't even realize it. If you look at verse 10, he says again, Lord, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. He says it twice in this text. Those words remind us of chapter 18, where before the big trial, you know, who is God? Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? Elijah said the very same words. He said, I'm the only one of God's prophets left. And if you're reading the text, you're kind of scratching your head and thinking, what's he talking about? Because you read at the beginning of chapter 18 that Obadiah found a hundred prophets, a hundred of Yahweh's prophets, and he hid 50 of them in one cave and 50 of them in another cave. Elijah, what about all those hundred prophets? You're not the only one. But it's almost as if Elijah is dismissing them. You see, it's, it's as if Elijah is saying, look, no true prophet of the Lord would be hiding from Jezebel in a cave. They ought to be standing out on the mountain ministering in faithfulness to the Lord. But where do you find Elijah in chapter 19? He's a prophet of the Lord hiding from Jezebel in a cave. And it's as if he's saying, he's condemning himself. And you see, friends, it's something that all of us have to realize. We do not stand with God. We stand with the people, just as guilty as everyone else, just as much in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness as anyone else. The only mediator who has ever stood on God's side of the equation is Jesus Christ. Very God from very God, begotten, not made, of one essence with the Father, 
But that Jesus chose to stand with us. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That mediator said, I've come not to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus was the only one who ever had the right to stand with God, and he's the only one whoever gave up that right and stood with sinful people. Friends, how often don't we plead with God to act? Just act, God. I've been faithful, but no one else seems to even care about right and wrong anymore. God, why don't you act? Why don't you stand up for us and and vindicate us? And God says, look, I have acted. I have acted. And I broke out in wrath against my very own son so that I could be merciful and gracious to you. And that's now your role, to point the world to Jesus. God, act. I have. Elijah pleaded to be released. Elijah pleaded for God to act. Elijah also pleaded for God to speak. This won't be too long. If you notice again, when God passes by Elijah on that mountain, our text says that after the fire came a gentle whisper. Translators have struggled with how to interpret that phrase. Um, I think the NRSV comes about as close as you can. After the fire came a sound of sheer silence. What Elijah heard was silence. Nothing. But it was palpable. What's the message here? Well, I think we have to compare mountains. Mount Carmel, okay, with the fire from the Lord, and Mount Horeb, silence. God spoke with fire in one place. He left no doubt, right, who was God and who was on His side. I think more of us live on Mount Carmel. For most of us, God doesn't answer with fire. God answers with silence. God says, I'm here. I'm with you. But you may never hear me. You see, we have to remember something. Elijah wasn't the only one who ever felt like he was the only one, was he? In fact, the text tells us that there were 7,000 others in Israel who probably felt the very same way. Lord, why, why is it that we have to live in hiding? Why is it that we can't openly worship 
the Lord our God? Why do we put ourselves at risk if we're faithful to you? Why can't you stand up and speak and defend us? The first people who read this text, who do you think they were? They were probably the exiles who had been carried away to Persia and were sitting in a foreign land as captives wondering, where is God? Why are we here? Doesn't he care? Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, speak. I'm, I don't know what to do here. Speak. I know I, I have that question in my mind a lot. We, I am 57 years old, and I have a two-year-old toddler at my house that's going to be with us as far as I can tell for the rest of our lives. So do the math. I'll be 67, she'll be 12, okay? Um, hopefully she'll be getting married about the time I'll be 77, all right? By God's grace, I could be dead tomorrow. And I look at that and I think, Lord, tell me this is the right thing to do because I don't know. Show me some fire. Silence. And we all want that. We all want that fire, right? It's like when no one supports you in your attempts to be sexually faithful, no matter what your situation, single, gay, divorced, if no one supports you in that, don't you feel like saying, God, just give me some fire because... I need to know. Or in your attempts to put others before yourself, or to be people of truth, be a person of contentment, to be merciful as opposed to vindictive, to be a peacemaker as opposed to a sower of discord. When you feel alone, you want God to speak and to speak loudly, to speak clearly. And it's tough. It's tough to live on Mount Horeb. And God is silent. And yet I think, I think Elijah did hear something in that silence. Maybe God was saying, Elijah, I'm going to give you some silence so you can remember. You seem to want to go back. Well, remember what I said to Moses on this mountain. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, the God who is faithful, the God who will never leave you, the God who's full of mercy and forgiveness. The covenant God. Maybe that's what Elijah heard. And friends, maybe that's what we need to hear as well. God may not give you fire. He may never give you fire. But he does give us something. He gives us sacraments. 
real food, and real drink. And what does he say? He says, folks, I may not be a God of easy solutions, but I'm a God of companionship. I will God, I'm a God who will give you strength, not easy answers. And so go, Elijah, go and anoint someone. We're not done yet. And go, Sue, go pray for someone. And go, Randy, go and forgive someone. And Beth, encourage someone. And Gary, witness to someone. Go bring someone a meal. Watch someone's kids. Make use of that spare room. Show mercy to a sinner. Be a friend to the friendless. Show someone that God is a God of companionship. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord our God, sometimes you are far too silent for our liking. So give us the faith and the trust to believe that you are who you say you are. You are a God who came to us in Jesus Christ, who bore your wrath that we might receive your forgiveness and your love. We praise your name. Give us the strength to carry your name and the goodness of your name to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.